One. Okay, now there's the test. I was actually, that was a test. You don't even know this. From Friday, I said good evening, and a couple people said good evening. And I said, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Now I know you're all awake, and I can put you to sleep with my preaching, so no problem whatsoever. Mm. By the way, I don't know what time we have to end today. I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to make sure I finish in time to give the guy in the evening service enough time for his message. So, uh, then, you know, in Africa, we don't preach short messages. You know, it's like they said one time first time I ever went to Africa they said you need to preach at least as long as they took to get to church and so since they had one group had walked two hours to get to church there's our plan for this morning so that's what hope you can be patient and so we're the LaBelle family uh, missionaries to Sierra Leone West Africa my name is John LaBelle I'm traveling this time with my wife Kelly and so we've been married now 27 years. We've been friends since we were 13 years old. I've drug, drug her all over the world, literally, and she still likes me. So I praise Amen. God for that. And so we have four children who served on the mission field with us. Um, now two of my daughters, Gabrielle, who's 24, and Camille, who's 23, are both uh, uh, juniors studying missions at West Coast Baptist College there in California. Uh, my third daughter, Madeline, after doing a one-year Bible, also at West Coast, she was married um, in uh, June 25th, and so she's uh, all, they're praying about the Lord's will for them in missions. And then my son, Gregory, who's 17, who's staying with my daughter and her husband now uh, for this trip, they're down in Tennessee. He's a, a senior in high school, uh, hoping to finish, uh, he's homeschooled, so he's hoping to finish in January. And then he'll also be attending West Coast next August, planning to study missions as well. So if you have not already got one, we see a lot of new faces here for, that I've not seen during the conference, whether I've missed you or have not been able to attend. Um, I encourage you, please, to grab one of ours and the rest of the missionaries' prayer cards. Please do pray for us. As your pastor mentioned, you know, your, your prayers, I honestly believe the only reason I'm alive today is because God's people prayed. And so please continue to pray for your missionaries. Um, and so on our prayer card, there's a QR code if you're familiar with these. The one on the front helps you directly to sign up for our prayer letter. It's a great resource. You can keep in touch with us, understand what's going on in our ministry. And on the back, you'll see a picture of my family. Another QR code tells you about our mission agency. So we're sent out of Eastside Baptist Church, uh, Pastor David Fox in Greenville, Tennessee. It's only the only Greenville in the United States that has an extra E in there, uh, which is really helpful when you're doing Google Maps. You don't just get sent to the wrong Greenville if you add that extra E. And so we're also sent through Beacon International Baptist Mission. And Brother Adam Crabtree, I believe, is also supported from your ministry here in your church. So, so I'm going to tell you short, uh, briefly about our ministry, and then I'm going to get into the Word of God. And so our, our path through ministry was not a, a straight line. Um, I don't know any of you, uh, maybe your life has just been so laid out perfectly, and everything's gone so well, and, and I, I, but that's not us. And so we set out as missionaries. Actually, I met Brother Steve and his wife uh, 10 years ago at Missionary Training School here in Ohio. And uh, we also met uh, Brother Jerry Mullendor, found Beacon International Baptist Mission at that point. And um, we were on deputation to, to go to Sierra Leone. And so we went all around the United States. In fact, I preached in over 250 churches, um, 13 times back and forth across the United States, 120,000 miles of travel and sharing Sierra Leone with uh, people. We got to the end of our deputation, not that we had actually raised all the support, we just decided we couldn't physically do any more as a family, and we decided we were done, and so we um, get, uh, announced our departure date, and then two weeks later, Ebola broke out in Sierra Leone, you remember that? Ebola, the whole first time the whole world was kind of afraid, uh, closed down travel, closed down lots of things, and I think that was kind of the forerunner, the precursor to uh, covid and you saw what happened, how um, Satan used that fear to control people and control the world. Well, that co um, Ebola effectively closed the country of Sierra Leone for two years. And so here we were. We had just finished deputation. We had you know, left everything behind, all our fan friends and family, my business, you know, all of that. And we had tr lived in a van for 27 months traveling around. And, and then the country we were going to, to and so burdened for was closed. And so we were in Florida. One of our supporting churches had a home there. They allowed us to stay in. And I kid you not, for every day for three months, my wife and I just cried, just trying to understand God's plan, what he was doing. And so through a long uh, um, uh, set of circumstances that I don't have time to share with you tonight, the Lord opened the door for our family to go to South Africa. 
And I tell you that, that God's plan isn't necessarily what I think my, you know, the plan is, but his plan is always best. And so he directed our family to South Africa. And so for five and a half years, we were able to be there serving the Lord together as a family. We were used to help plant Solid Rock Baptist Church in a township just outside of um, Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, during that time, um, incredible time for ministry and for family, my children learned how to serve the Lord. They learned how to share the gospel. They learned to love missions. And I believe that's why they are all missions-minded. It's not because we made them. We've actually encourage them to do other things if they could, because if you can do anything else, you're not called. And they all have a heart to serve the Lord in missions. And actually, while we were there, my daughter met her now husband, Joshua Marsh. Um, his family has been in missions uh, through his mother's side since continuously since 1917, five generations of missionaries. He actually grew, uh, was born in Congo, lived there till he was 12, then moved to South Africa, lived there until he was 24. First time he'd ever lived in America was when he followed my daughter to Bible college. Uh, so he's, he's, we're thankful for the addition he is to our family. But the whole time we were ministering in South Africa, even though the ministry was incredible and saw a lot of people get saved and it was just really great for family, I just never lost a burden for Sierra Leone. In fact, I would dream about it. I mean, in conversations, I'd be at church, you know, and I'd talk about Sierra Leone. I'd talk to people here. I'm missionary serving in South Africa, and I'm talking to people in South Africa about Sierra Leone. It's just my, just my heart, my burden, my passion was just always there. To the point where I actually prayed many times that if God wanted me to stay in South Africa, that he'd remove the burden for Sierra Leone. It's very, very difficult to have your heart so clearly somewhere else while you're serving in a mission field. But not only did the Lord not remove it, he actually intensified um, that my heart, my burden for Sierra Leone. So one day in late in 2016, um, we were in South Africa, and I was on my computer kind of just daydreaming and praying about Sierra Leone. And, and a map of Sierra Leone came up on my computer screen, and I looked, and I went, no, no way. I saw something I'd never seen before. I go into the kitchen, and I say, Kelly, you know there's an island off the coast of Sierra Leone? She goes, no, there's not. I said, yeah, there is. There's actually a little island off the coast of Sierra Leone. Here, I've been involved with missions in Sierra Leone since 2010, and I've been all over the country, literally, and I've never even heard of or seen this little island off the coast of Sierra Leone. In fact, most of you probably have never heard of Sierra Leone before. Certainly during deputation, before Ebola, nobody had heard of Sierra Leone. It's just this little country, 1040 window, small corner of Africa, nobody's ever heard of before. But actually, whether you realize it or not, you've all most likely had a brush with Sierra Leone and didn't even know it. How many of you sang the song Amazing Grace? How many, show of hands, how many of you? Literally, almost everybody in the room. My favorite song, in fact, I've asked, uh, requested that it be sung at my funeral. I've had the privilege of singing that song in nine different languages around the world. I just love that song. Well, the author of that song, John Newton, if you know, he actually, he spent several years of his youth in Sierra Leone working as a slave trader. Actually, when people come and visit us, we take them to King Jimmy Wharf, which is actually the wharf from colonial days, way back when John Newton was there. And, and the pit is in the ground where they would keep the slaves. They've still got the, the metal shack, uh, chains where they would shackle up the prisoners or the, the slaves there. And John Newton worked right there in Sierra Leone for several years. But as he says in the song, he saved a wretch like me. He was such a hated and reviled man that even his boss, a slave trader, hated him so much that he had his wife chain him up and enslave him for 16 months on a little island just off the coast of Freetown there. For those 16 months, he was treated like a dog. The woman, the wife would leave, oftentimes three or four days at a time, go to the mainland and leave him there on the island without food, without water. I mean, he almost died several times. It was just a horrible time. When he was set free from that, he goes back to Freetown. He gets on a boat. He thinks he's, he's out of there. But at sea, he, they encounter a storm, and he thought he was going to die. And it scared him to death because he knew if he died, he'd go to hell. But he called upon the name of the Lord. He found salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And then years later, he went back to England, and he wrote the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. That's Sierra Leone. But what I love about the tie-in with our ministry is that the woman who enslaved John Newton was from an island called Bonth. And that is the island that I saw on that map, 2016. And the Lord began to burden us for it. 
I asked everybody I knew in Sierra Leone, everybody, nobody knew how to get there. No, people you know, were aware of it, but nobody had been there. Nobody had done any mission work. I'd done so many searches on it, I could find no evidence that any work, missions work had been done in Bont within any history that we were aware of. In fact, now we found, we have a 74-year-old friend there, um, Lajigundu, who uh, in his, he's been born and raised, lived his entire life in Bont. He's never seen a missionary before we came. So didn't know how to get there, but I knew the Lord wanted me to go. So I found my South African friend, evangelist Mike Nielsen, who I've done a lot of ministry with there in South Africa. And I said, look, I believe the Lord wants me to go to this place. I don't know how to get there. Want to come? He said, yeah. <laughs> so we began to try to show up. And remember that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, the idea of showing up. And so we took 42 hours of plane flights, five different fl- four different flights, and you finally arrive in Freetown, and then you take a 10-minute taxi, a 35-minute water taxi, another 10-minute taxi, and then you get a night's rest. And then 6 o'clock the next morning, you get up, and you drive 12 hours, and at the, where the road ends in a village called Yagoy, we knew how to get that far, but we didn't know how to get to the island still. And just in five minutes' time, I kid you not, a, young, a man walked up to us. His name is Mustafa, who's now a good friend of our ministry. And I told him what we needed to do. He said, I'll take you. In less than five minutes, we had a boat two and a half hours out to this island. And we showed up for the Lord. The next morning, we went to go visit, meet the, the uh, mayor of the village. Bonth is big enough that it has chiefs, paramount chiefs, and also a mayor. And the mayor, even though Bonth and Sierra Leone as a whole is 85% Muslim, the mayor is a Christian. And he said, when we met him, he thanked, thanked God and thanked us for coming. He said, Islam is just overrunning Bont. And he said, we're so thankful that there's someone here to tell people about Jesus Christ. But as we were walking to the mayor, we were giving out tracts. And we ran into these four men coming the other way on this path. And we gave the tracts. And they said, well, what are these? I said, well, these are Bible verses. Help you know for sure you get to go to heaven when you die. And one of them said, well, will you teach us? I said, Absolutely. So we walked a little farther down the path to a junction where there's this um, you know, gr- mud, a grass hut roof over this area. And they had 22 young men come with just a few minutes and come listen for two and a half hours as we shared the gospel, answered all of their questions. And at the end of that time, 18 of those 22 young men publicly accepted Christ as Savior. One of them, and I believe it was the first one that I led to the Lord, his name is Thomas Bappy. Thomas Bappy today is, um, was, was our first um, board-approved associate missionary under our ministry there. He has faithfully served the Lord for the, since uh, he got saved in 2017. And um, we have since then taken a second man on, Moses Karoma, um, who's also a board-approved associate missionary under our ministry. And the work of the gospel just absolutely just took off. Every open door. I mean, I literally can't even tell you. Every door. From the schools to they finally got the radio station working again after 40-something years being down. I have a free invitation to preach on the radio any Sunday I want. It's a Muslim station, so they preach Islam and that, and then they give me the station for an hour. I preach Christ and Him crucified. And then they put the Muslim programming back on again. <clears throat> then they have a small Navy base there and opened the door completely wide open. So in 2019, after our efforts at evangelism and discipleship and Bible training, we were able to plant Bonth Baptist Church, first Baptist church in the history of our area of that 1040 window. And the Lord has continued to give us great grace. So what we do is I go into the different villages all around us. Once you get outside of Bonth itself, it's 100% Muslim. We show up at the village. I've got a backpack that has a battery-operated projector and speakers and a queen-size white bed sheet. Um, and we show the Jesus film. If you're familiar with that, it's a film, about two hours or so, of the life of Jesus Christ from the book of Luke. Actually, the newest version I like because it starts at creation and then into Christ and then all the way through. And so we go into these villages, and because they're Muslim, as we show up right at the, towards sunset, they're literally all on their prayer mats facing Mecca, praying to their false god Allah. They roll them up. We put up the Jesus film. And two and a half hours later, we see incredible numbers of Muslims publicly accept Jesus Christ the Savior. So we've, that's how we've done evangelism. Well, so I said we planted Bont Baptist Church. We actually planted the second church, and we didn't know it. Um, we didn't find that out until October 2020. Um, I was back in the village. So we went to one village called York. It's, a little, it's actually an island just about 45 minutes away from where we are in Bont. And we went there in 2017, or six, 2018. 
and we showed up at the village, a kind of a larger village, about 400 people, and, and about, about 300 of them came to watch the film, and at the end of the film, we saw about 112 people publicly accept Christ as Savior. And we, what I do is I have an audio Bible, solar-powered audio Bible that has New Test, or I'm sorry, the uh, whole Bible in English, and then they also speak Mendy and Creo, and some are Sherbro. And so we've got the um, whatever Bible portions are available in those languages. Um, in uh, the New Testament is in Creo and Mendy, and then some Bible stories in Sherbro. But it also has a plan of salvation in all four of those languages, and it has Bible stories in those languages. And so we give this to the village as a, to a representative. Um, and I remember that village because the man who came forward to receive it came forward very hesitantly. He wasn't stepping out like, oh, here I am, give it to me. He almost felt like it was, he was pushed forward. And he took it and he thanked us on behalf of the village and then we went away. And we keep doing what we're doing in South Africa and I keep coming back and forth. Well, in 2020, I'm back and, and they sent somebody from the village from York and to find me. They asked me if I'd come back and uh, share, show the film again. And I said, well, there's like 150 villages around us that have never heard of Christ. I don't normally go back again. But they really just implored us and begged us. And I felt the Lord wanted me to go. So we went back. And as we get onto the beach, that man who got the, the audio Bible comes up and introduces himself as pastor. I'm like, okay, I, I kind of need to know what's going on here. He said, come, let me show you my church. So he takes me in this village. It was a Muslim village. And in the back of the village, there's this little church building, about the size of a two-car garage, all nice painted with a cross in the front. I said, you've got to tell me what happened. He said, well, after you left, I started listening to the audio Bible and the stories that were on that. And some of the people that got saved that night met with me, and they said, well, you tell us the stories that you're listening to. And I began to share with them, and I started listening to the Bible more, and I started meeting with them every Sunday, and we started a church. And he said, they started calling me pastor. Well, four months after I was, we were there the first time, that a Dutch tourist come through. Now, you got to understand, we are really remote. I mean, to, buy, buy, to go buy groceries is 15 to 18 hours each way. To buy groceries. We don't get tourists out there. But a Dutch tourist comes through York on a Sunday while they're meeting, and he says, he says what are you doing? He said, meeting as a church. And he said, so you don't have a building? He said, no. So this man was only in York for four hours, gave them enough money to build a church building. <clears throat> it's just incredible. So we go to this one village, I'll tell one more story, and then I'll get into the Word of God. We go to the, all the different villages, and as we do that, you know, we seek the Lord's will, trying to understand a little bit more about the open door and how best to meet the needs of the people spiritually and church planting and that. And so um, south of us, there is a, a group, I won't say because you're on live stream, but there's a group that I'm really trying to reach. And so uh, nobody knows how to get there. We are so remote Nobody knows how to get where I need to go. But I wanted to go in that direction. And so after praying about it, we got on a boat. We went two hours south of us. And I had planned when we hit the beach to go on the path to the left. But as we started, we had about nine people with us, that group. And as we started to the left walking down the path, we encountered these three men walking the other direction. And they asked us what we were doing. And we explained to them. And they said, oh, would you, would you, would you please, would you instead turn and go the other direction and come to our village, Bahoy? And I said, no. I said, we really, I, I've been praying about this. We need to go this way. And these men began to just beg us. I mean, to the point where they had tears in their eyes. Would you please come and tell us about Jesus? And I'm listening. I'm like, I want to go this way, but here's these men. I, I can't ignore this. And so we turned and said, and we walked 20 minutes through the bush the other direction to this village called Bahoy. And so as we're walking through the bush, um, Brother Adam Crabtree, my, our mission director, was with me on that trip. It was his first trip to Sierra Leone. And he comes up behind me and he says, Brother John, what is that? I said, what? He said, the hair on the back of my neck is literally standing on end. Well, I didn't told him, but the area we were walking through is the home of their resident demon, whose name is Kasila. They've lived literally for generations in fear of this demon. They actually can't garden or farm the area, even though subsistence fishermen and farmers, their villages can't use the area of the bush because that's where their demon lives. They actually, in fact, have to make sacrifice of the fish and the food they do grow and catch there to this demon. And they live in absolute fear. And the spiritual warfare in the area was so thick that it was like walking through a fog. And Brother Adam, who knew nothing about this, could feel it. And we walk through this bush. We get to the village. It's a village, 100% Muslim, 85 people in the village. And they all come out. 
And in Africa, you make big speeches. And so they're talking. We make a big speech. They make a big speech. And well, the chief and the, um, the mom and the witch doctor, as the representatives of the village, come up and they greet us. And in the speeches, the chief says this. He said, we're so glad you're here. We've been praying for years that someone would come and tell us about Jesus Christ. And I just couldn't believe it. I was just floored. But what's happening the whole time we're walking through the bush and we're in the village is there is a storm coming in. I mean, a massive storm. And it was on three sides of us. It was literally like a wall of thunder and lightning here, here, and here. And above us was starry sky. And if that storm comes in, even wind comes in because we use a bed sheet so they can see from both sides. If it moves, you can't watch the film. And so we're just praying and praying that the Lord will hold that storm back. And normally I'll preach for about 20 minutes before the film, but I just felt the Lord tell me I preached for an hour. And we showed the film, two hours and 20 minutes. At the end of the film, we pause it, and I preached for another hour. I wanted to make sure these people understood exactly, coming from Islam into Christianity, what they were doing, who Christ was. And I shared with them, and at the end of the film, at the end of that last message, we gave an invitation in 65 of those 85 Muslims publicly confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior, including the chief and the imam and the witch doctor. So we turn after, after the end of the film is over. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning. The whole time we're praying. I mean, continuously praying and praying and praying. This storm is raging on, all, on three sides of us. Starry sky above. We turn and we start walking through the bush. And I just couldn't stop just thinking about how God had just won such a victory. No longer did these people sitting in darkness have to sit in fear of the demonic oppression that they've been under for generations. Because the light of the Holy Spirit, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ had entered their hearts. And I was just praising God the whole time. We get back to the boat. Oh, and that storm. Oh, it hit us hard. And for over two hours, we're sitting in the boat at anchor, being driven back and forth. The boat would hit the shore and roll, and it hit the shore and roll. And we were just on the boat, praising God, singing hymns. It was like literally something I've read in my Bible. It was just incredible to be a part of. But the part that was so encouraging to me and so challenging to me as a missionary was that about a week later, they sent someone from their village in a dugout canoe took about seven hours of paddling to get to us, to find us, and they said, we thank you for coming. We want to know when can you come back and plant a church in this village. And that is now a plea that we have had from four different villages that we've been able to do ministry with. Those villages are anxiously waiting for us to come and help them. The next step of our ministry is Bonk Bible Training Institute. We've got to provide training for these men. We have five in our church in Bonth ready for training, and we have men from these villages that can come to Bonth. It's a junction for all of these villages. Over 150 villages come to us to take the ferry boat. And by the way, don't picture boat. Look at our pictures on our prayer thing. This is a handmade boat that they, get, they make on the island that you're literally bailing water out of while you're underway. Okay? It's not like a boat you picture. But the boat, the ferry boat from our island goes to the mainland. So they all come to us anyway so they can sell their excess fruit and fish and whatever on the mainland. So we can bring them to Bonth. We can train them in the word of God, send them back, and we can start multiple. I'm praying for many, many churches to be established through the work there in Bonth. So as I said, it's a very challenging place to live. Um, we need your prayers. And in fact, we cannot do what we're being asked by God to do alone. And so we ask you please to pray for us. Every time you hear the song Amazing Grace, if you would think about Sierra Leone and pray for the ministry there. We went to the field in 2015. This is our first furlough. We went at 71% support. We went very much underfunded. But the Lord has been very faithful and has provided. You might have noticed things have gotten a little bit more expensive. And so we are desperately in need of more support to be able to get back to the mission field. We also have project needs in order to build the Bible Training Center. We have purchased two acres of land. It has already been approved, ready to go. The mayor, the city council are all behind us, ready to go. In fact, when I was dying of COVID last year um, and I was able to go back to Sierra Leone in May, the imam of the, uh, the, the mosque in Bont met me. He was crying grabs me and he's jumping up and down and he tells me that the mosque has been praying for me to get better so we can bring our family back and continue the work of the gospel there. So it's a wide open door and we can't do it alone and I don't think we're supposed to do it alone. We need people like you around the world who pray, be willing to give and be willing to go to meet the need there in the mission field. So with that, if you please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. 
we'll read the passage I'm going to be preaching out of today. We're going to be moving around through Scripture just a little bit. I believe the more Word of God we get in the message, the better. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Familiar passage of Scripture. I'm sure many of you have heard messages preached out of it. Hopefully many of you have memorized this passage of Scripture. It's one of the first passages I ever memorized as a Christian. The Word of God says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world, to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Please pray with me. Father God, I thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you for the gift and opportunity we have to sit here comfortably without any fear of persecution or hindrance whatsoever from the unsaved world around us. And Lord, that we can come and we can have your word opened that we can speak with you and meet with you and other believers openly without any fear of persecution, Father. And I pray that we would never take this for granted. We don't know how long this will last, Lord. So help us to make good use of the time we have to be encouraged, to be equipped, to be challenged, and, Father, to serve. And, Father, I ask you, please, that not one person here today, including myself, Father, not one of us would leave here unchanged that through the preaching of your word, that each of us would be conformed closer into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Father, I ask you, please, Lord, that you'd fill me with your spirit, that you'd overcome my weakness, my fatigue, and Father, that you'd direct my heart, my words, my thoughts, and that everything would bring glory and honor to your holy and precious name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And he says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. You think about that. Jesus said that almost 2,000 years ago. He said the laborers are few. And you know, that's something that I believe, unfortunately, has been true, not just from when Christ spoke it, but in every age since then. And it is still that way today. When we're on the mission field, that's one of the most marked things we see again and again and again is the lack of laborers. I heard um, Brother um, Randy Brown talk about Japan and uh, one missionary for every 57,000 people. It just breaks your heart. I hope it breaks your heart. One person cannot reach 57,000 people. That means there's a vast number of people who will die and go to hell without ever having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ there in Japan. Well, in Sierra Leone, as far as we are aware, there are only six not just independent Baptists, six missionaries that have anything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ in Sierra Leone. That means there's like 1.2 million Sierra Leoneans per missionary in the country. The laborers are few. In fact, they are desperately few. But you know, I've preached in over 250 churches around America, and here's the sad fact. Here in America, a great Christian nation, I don't care what Obama says, a great Christian nation here we have churches everywhere in every corner and every state all around the United States. And even though I've gone to many of them and I've been able to preach in a lot of them, you know what I see every time? The laborers are few. They're few here and they're few in the mission field. And Jesus says for us to pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, this is mission conference. I love missions conferences. I mean, I'm not, not just because I'm a missionary, because I believe that God, his heart, is missions. And I love God. And so his heart should be our hearts. And this is mission conference. I love your theme. Here am I. Here am I, Lord. Now, my walk with missions began at 36 years old. I was in my garage in Portland, Oregon, I was working as a general contractor, and at the time, actually, I was starting a second business in home inspection, and I had four children, three, yeah, three children at that time, and uh, serving, you know, just, I went to, was going to church, but my Christian faith really didn't have a focus or really a purpose other than the fact I knew I was going to heaven. And I heard Jay Vernon McGee on the radio, and he was talking about surrendering to the Lord, and he said, you know, we make such a big deal of it. He said, really, all it is is saying, here am I. And I thought, you know, I, I, that's what I've done. I've kind of made it a big deal. And so I said to the Lord right there, I got on my knees in the garage, and I said, Lord, I have no idea what you want me to do, but I just want to serve you. I want to serve you with my life. 
And that began all of the work and the process that gets me to standing here today, those many years later, talking to you about saying, here am I, here am I, Lord, send me. But see, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says something very interesting I want to draw your attention to, to Christians, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So we're going to look at that passage a lot, but I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at the scripture foundation of faith promise. I love the fact that this church participates in faith promise. I would say almost all of the churches that support us being on the mission field do. In fact, we give the faith promise ourselves through through our home church. Faith promise, to a great extent, is the reason why we've been able to stay on the field as long as we have. We went seven years without a furlough. This is our first furlough. Because your faithfulness giving to missions through faith promise keeps missionaries doing the work of the Lord in a foreign place, in a foreign field. But look at the heart of faith promise when you read chapter 8. I'll read the first few verses, the first five of them. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Paul writes, I want you to pay attention to what happened with the churches in Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this is what I want you to hear. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. And unto us by the will of God. Say, here, I am, here am I, Lord, doesn't mean going to a mission field. Saying, here am I, Lord, means that through missions, these churches in Macedonia, they didn't all surrender to go to the mission field. They participated in missions with the heart of God by giving themselves first to the Lord. You see, you can give to your own power. It does take obedience to give. If I give you $100 and tell you you need to go and give that to somebody, you have to be obedient to that. But it takes no faith to do that. They gave beyond their power by faith. But they gave themselves first. And that is the heart of missions. That is the heart, I believe, of what Paul is talking to us in Romans chapter 12. That if you are willing to give money, but you're not willing to give yourself, I'm telling you, you're giving in vain. You need to be willing to give everything to Jesus Christ. Go back to Romans chapter 12. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul is talking here in Romans 12 to you and I. We think about Isaiah, and we think, well, that's Old Testament, that's back then. You read the the here am I statements throughout the Old Testament, you think, well, yeah, that was back then. Where's the here am I to the church? It's right here. It's right here in Romans. Where Paul is talking to brethren, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, whether you are young, middle, or old. Every single person who claims the name of Jesus Christ, Paul is talking to here. And he's wanting to communicate something, not not just like a suggestion. In fact, he uses the word beseech. And there's some that, that word is something very interesting, very that's something powerful that I want you to understand, because I believe it's the key to understanding what Paul is trying to say to us here. Many of you may, may know the principle of first mention. Familiar with that? If you study a word in Scripture, and you find the first time it's used in Scripture, it lays a foundation that really helps us understand what the word and the power and what happens behind the word when you read it other places in Scripture. So keep your place in Romans, but turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3... You'll find Moses... At the burning bush. 
You hear Moses the burning bush, and you hear you hear in verse four. He says, Moses, Moses. Angel of the Lord talks to Moses and calls him by name. And what do you read that Moses did there at the end of verse 4? Here am I. He says, here am I. Now, he's not been told anything to do. He's not been given a job yet. He just met God. He met the Lord in the burning bush. He heard the word of God And he said, here am I. Then God goes forth and he reveals himself to Moses. And he says, Moses Moses says to God, but who am I going to tell the Israelites you are? And he says in verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt, thus thou shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So now he knows who he's just surrendered to. And now he's going to find out what. And now turn with me to verse 18. He's been told he's going to take the, the, go to Egypt. He's going to take the elders out of Israel. And he's going to go before Pharaoh. In verse 18, and said, They shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto them, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. That's the first use of the word beseech in Scripture. Now think about what's happening here. Israelites have now been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. They've been incredibly hard situations. Unimaginable hardships that they've gone through. They've had to watch their children be murdered in front of them. That's how Moses, remember, came about to be Moses. He was saved in that basket. They've had to live in a complete pagan society filled with idolatry and adultery and fornication and depravity. Kind of sound like the world we live in today? And they're living in that environment and they're absolute slaves to it. They're in bondage to it. They cannot set themselves free. And Christian, that is exactly where you and I are apart from salvation. We serve sin. We have no choice but to live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. We fulfill the lusts of the flesh in everything we do. In fact, we cannot not sin. We live in Egypt in our own lives, whether you're in America today or back then in Moses' time. We live in a world filled with idolatry, with filth, with sin of every kind. And they go to Pharaoh because they can't worship the one true God. And they go to Pharaoh and they say, Hey, you know, Pharaoh, have you ever thought about maybe just a suggestion? You know, we were just kind of talking. Maybe, would you mind letting us go? You think that's what's being said here when he says, Beseech thee? You think if you were one of the women that had to watch your child be killed at birth, is it dared to be born a Jew? That you would just say, hey, Pharaoh, you think maybe you might let me go? You think those that are living in that, that bondage and the hardship of slavery, day in and day out, with no hope whatsoever, and they finally see hope in God, I am, letting them go and worship the one true God, that there might be a little bit of passion behind the request, I beseech thee, Pharaoh? Now, think about that context. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 12. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, we think, well, that's Moses. That's Israel. Think about what happened when Moses took them out of Egypt. Right? They cross the Red Sea and they go into the Wilderness, and what do you see them doing again and again and again? Turning back. Complaining, whining, moaning, desiring to go back home. Well, Christian, that's exactly what happens to us. Every single one of us, myself included, the worst of all, 
It took me seven years to understand that my Christian faith needed to be more than just the fact I'm going to heaven when I die. I lived in Egypt. I had everything this world had to offer. I lived in the American dream. But you see, the things that happened to Israel at that time, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, but what happened in verse 5 says, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. Christian, many of us, God is not well pleased. Paul says, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples. Do you understand that, that God recorded what happened in the wilderness with the Israelites, always trying to go back and live in Egypt, either physically or spiritually, saying, I don't want to worship the one true God. How quickly did they make the golden calf? You see, God brought them out of Egypt. He saved them from bondage. They were set free. They did not have to live in slavery to the world anymore. They could worship the one true God, just like us. And God showed us. He was not well pleased with the Israelites the way they tried to live in the world. And many were overthrown. And Paul tells us that that was an example to us, Christians, in fact, in verse 11, it says, Now all these things that happened in the wilderness, all these things happened unto them for our examples. And they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So when Paul is writing here, talking to us Christians, and he's beseeching us, calling to mind, as he wrote in the first book to Corinthians, before he wrote the second book of Corinthians, telling people about what the churches in Macedonia were doing by how they gave themselves first to the Lord. He's saying, don't be like these Egyptians, or these Israelites. And he's saying, Christians, you understand, you've been set free from slavery. You are no longer in bondage to sin. Now, listen, Jesus didn't force you to get saved, did he? Every one of us had a free opportunity. Jesus gives us the free gift of salvation through faith and belief in him. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. The only choice you have with Jesus Christ is to receive him and be saved or reject him and go to hell. It's the only choice you have. He gave himself for you. He set you free. You know the Bible says that you are not your own? That's, that's a statement of fact, by the way. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. That price was the blood of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who came and lived a perfect, sinless life, but loved you so much. He loved you even though he knows everything you've ever thought. I tell people, you know, if you knew everything I'd ever thought and everything I'd ever done with my hands, you wouldn't love me. And if I knew everything you'd done, I wouldn't love you either. He didn't die for us because we were lovable. Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He knows everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever touched. And he still loves you. And he loves you with a love that is so unimaginably powerful that it was enough that the joy that was set before him, your salvation, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That is a Savior that loves you with everything he has. He held nothing back. He gave himself for you so that you can receive mercy. See, mercy is you're not going to get what you deserve. Now, you don't know me, but I can tell you I'm not a good person. I lived in the world completely until I was 24 years old when I got saved. I started drinking alcohol when I was 13, started doing drugs when I was 15. I've lived an absolute reprehensible life prior to Christ. I worked my way and I earned and deserved hell, separated from God for eternity. The wages of sin is death. There's that beautiful word. But, but, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The tw- December 22nd, I shared with you on Friday, the greatest miracle I've ever experienced in my life, the day I got saved. The day that I knew that my sins were forgiven and I was washed free, that no longer did I have to live at bondage and slavery to the world and sin. But I had a life I could live. 
And he says, so God didn't force me to get saved. And he's not going to force you to serve him. He didn't twist Moses' arm and say, say I'm here. Say you'll go do it. Moses heard God and he said, hear my Lord. Isaiah heard God. He was cleansed. And as soon as he was cleansed, he heard God. Who should I send? Christian, you have been cleansed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. That power and the righteousness of Christ is in you. You are purified and cleansed. You no longer have to live in this sinful world. But sadly, we are conformed. Often, all of us, very conformed to the world. Look at our lives. You know, that what made me come out of that I call a mediocre Christian life, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but I didn't live for the Lord, was I looked around at the church I was in. It was a non-denominational church, and, and it was you know, kind of patting you on the back every Sunday. You felt good about your salvation, and, and, but you go through the world, you know, live in the world the rest of the, the week. And I was in a men's group. There's about two or 300 men in this prayer group, and I'm looking around. I'd been in many of these men's home and involved with their families and the ministry, and I looked around and I said, They look just like the world. And I look just like them. You read the Bible, it says, be not conformed to this world. Christian, don't be conformed to this world. See, you've got to be transformed. Something's got to change. But you know that every year, I went to look it up, but I, I forgot to do it. But every year, you have any idea how many billions, if not trillions of dollars are spent every year? on advertising to you? Do you know that news is advertising to you? They advertise a lot of fear, which Satan uses to control us. But they try to be, make you discontent with what you have in Christ. They try to make you more like the world. If you were like them, you'd have everything you want. You'd be happy, right? You think the person eating the salad, they're smiling, they're so happy. You could be like them. Everything about this world system, the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, is designed to make you conformed, not to Christ, but to the world. Something's got to change. You have to be cleansed, and God is not going to force you to do it. He wants you to be motivated, he said, by the mercies of God. A Christian, you're not going to get what you deserve when you die. Christian, you got Christ and his spirit now. Christian, you're not going to have to answer for your sins. You are not going to stand before God as a judge with this wrath abiding on you and have to give an account and pay the price. Because Christ loved you so much, he did it for you. That's mercy. Now, if that doesn't motivate you to love your Savior, I have to ask you if you're saved. And if you're saved and you love your Savior, I believe just like Moses going before Pharaoh and Paul going before the church and saying, I beseech you, Christian, look what Christ has done for you. Look at what he gave for you. He held nothing back. He didn't say, I'll give you my right, my left hand to crucify, but don't take my right. He gave everything he had on that cross so that you could have eternal life. Now, when you got saved, there's an interesting thing that happens. Maybe you notice this phenomenon. Have you ever seen somebody get saved? They don't suddenly disappear and go to heaven, do they? When I got saved, I didn't poof up into heaven. He left us here. And he left us here for a purpose. And each and every single one of you has a purpose. We talk about saying, here am I, Lord. Present your body as a living sacrifice. See, here's the thing. I believe that one of the huge mis- misconceptions in the church is that people think if you surrender to the Lord, it means you're surrendering as a missionary or a pastor or something in full-time ministry. Now, you notice that Paul doesn't say, I beseech you, therefore men surrender as pastors. 
He doesn't say, I beseech you, therefore, people surrender as missionaries. He actually has nothing to do with what you're going to do when you surrender. It says, surrender to the Lord. What does Moses say? Here am I, Lord. It's not about what you're surrendering to. We focus on that. In fact, I've had people tell me over and over again on on deputation, I'd surrender to missions, but God would send me to Africa. And that fear of what God might have you do stops people from surrendering. But that's got it all backwards. I didn't surrender to missions. I surrendered to the Lord. And if you get to know your Savior, if you get to know your God, and you get to know the Word of God that tells you in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you are His workmanship, perfectly crafted, you individually and perfectly, in Christ Jesus under good works. And God is before ordained. That word is literally like this. He has fit you perfectly for some work that you should walk in them. The problem is Christians don't get up and do it. But you can't say it's his fault. Did God mess up when he crafted you? He said, well, he didn't make me so I could talk. Moses couldn't talk. So God gave him Aaron. What is your excuse? He said, well, I, I have young kids. So did we. But that doesn't stop you from serving the Lord. Maybe God wants you to serve the Lord with young kids so that your children will see the truth of the word of God and that his word still works and that he might call them into missions as well. You say, well, I'm too old. Tell me, how old was Moses when you said, here am I, Lord? 80 years old? How old are you? Oh, you're too old. These are my retirement years. This is all the time I worked for myself. I'm going to give it to me now. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. If you have one day's worth of breath in this world, you need to give it to the Lord. If you're young, you're a young person in this room and you're trying to figure out what to do with your life, I'm not going to tell you to be a missionary. I would love it if you were, and I'm telling you honestly, it's not a job, but I have the best job in the world. I love being a missionary. I love sharing the gospel. I love going to different places where they've never heard and watching the light of the gospel come on in their eyes when they hear and believe. But if you're a young person, I'm not going to tell you to do that because I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But for each and every single one of you, whether you're young or old, I'm going to say the same thing that Paul said to every Christian who claims the name of Jesus Christ. I beseech you, brethren, surrender yourself. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy unto God. You see, this living because there's a life to live, and that life needs to be lived for Christ. And you have a choice to make. So it's not about what you're going to do. You don't say, I'm going to surrender to go do blank, blank, blank. By the way, I tried that. It doesn't work. It hurts. Don't do that. You surrender to someone. And you know, the problem is when you look at Scripture, I think oftentimes, I know I did in myself, and maybe you do still today, is you look at God as a hard man. You look at him just, you think, oh, if you surrender to that that God, he's going to put me in the most miserable place. I'm going to be so unhappy. I'm going to have to give up everything I like. And I'm going to have to go live somewhere miserable in an island with no electricity and no running water. And I'm just going to be miserable. Is that the God of the Bible you serve? Is he a hard man or is he a loving father? Is he creator God who personally and intimately created you for some work that nobody else can do? That only you can fulfill God's plan and will for your life. Now, if you know that God, and you know that Savior, Jesus Christ, it should be easy to surrender to him. Now, I don't know what he's going to have you do, but I can tell you that each and every single one of you needs to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be willing to give up whatever you're holding on to in Egypt. Whatever you hold on to that keeps you here. One, somebody said to me yesterday, I, 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 the one thing, I couldn't go to the mission field. They literally said this because I couldn't have a dog. And you laugh. But if you honestly told me the reason you wouldn't go, do you think I'd laugh too? I've had people say I couldn't go because I couldn't eat the food. I won't go see people go to heaven when they die through faith in Jesus Christ because I don't like food they serve. God of your belly? 
Say, I won't give up the comfort. I won't give up my bank account. I won't give up my dreams. I've got a plan. Well, if that plan's not God's plan, you are out of the will of God. But if you follow the will of God and you surrender to Him and say, here I am, Lord, whatever you want, I don't care what it is, I just want to serve you. I want you to take this life, no matter I live one day, one month, one year, or 50 years, and I want, Lord, I want that life to bring glory and honor to you. I want to live a life that shows people Jesus Christ. I want to show up for the Lord. So I said, when I shared about going to Sierra Leone, and I said, I didn't know how to get to that island, I just knew God wanted me to go. You know, I come to the conclusion in my life that like 90% of the Christian life is just showing up. You had to come today to hear this message. You had to come and sit in front of your TV to watch it online. But you know, there are a lot of people who should be here today who aren't. They didn't show up. But you know what? More than that, you've got to show up for the Lord. You've got to show up with intent for God to speak to you and for him to speak through you. Think of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I love that story. Missionary in Africa. I, I tell it all the time. One of the first missionaries goes to an Ethiopian black man and he leads him to the Lord to go back to Africa. I just love that. But you know when God came to, to the Spirit of God came to Philip, he said, go south. And all, all Philip had to do was go. He didn't even know what he was going to do when he got there. But he had to show up. You see, but he had to show up for the Lord. In order to show up for the Lord, you've got to be prepared. You can't show up to share the gospel if you don't know what the gospel is. You can't show up and share the gospel if you've never memorized the scripture. You think you're going to have your phone with you everywhere you go? You think the people who are sitting next to you someplace are going to wait patiently while you search a verse on your phone? You need to have it in your heart. You've been saved by that same gospel. I hope you know what that same gospel is. You've got to be prepared and ready to show up for the Lord. Because if you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that means that everywhere your body goes is for the Lord. You go to work. Don't you dare go there to get a paycheck. Show up for the Lord. You go to school. Don't dare show up for education. Yeah, you might get that while you're there. But in order for you to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, you need to shine the light of Christ Jesus, your faith, wherever you go in the school systems. You've got to show up. You go to the grocery store. Don't go to buy milk. Christian, listen. Don't go to the grocery store to buy milk. You take Christ. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. You go to the grocery store. You intermingle with unsafe people everywhere you go. And how are they going to hear about Christ if you don't open your mouth? If you don't show up for Christ? Imagine if Philip had shown up on that road and seen that beautiful entourage and see this man in a fine chariot and just be enamored by the book of Isaiah that he's reading. And, and it's just, oh, it's so amazing. Ah, have a great day. See you later. See, we have been commanded by Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Do you know that I am convinced that at the, the heart of missions is that every Christian shares the gospel with whoever the Lord has put in front of their face right now. It says both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. Well, you send me to the uttermost, that's great. Thank God, I'm happy to go. But it doesn't really help you if you don't do it right here in your Jerusalem. In fact, I don't want you to show hands, but I want to ask you this question, just between you and God. How many of you have unsaved family members? I bet almost everyone in this room instantly had one person come to mind. Unsaved family members, maybe even your own children. Moms and dads, aunts and uncles. Now, how about unsaved neighbors? People you've lived next door, sometimes for years. Unsaved. If they die today, they go to hell. You have unsaved co-workers. You spent 20 years working alongside somebody. How many of those people that the Lord brought to your mind have you ever shared the gospel with? You want to give to missions? You want to give money? But you haven't given your own self first? 
How dare you send us to Sierra Leone to go live in an island with no electricity, no running water, 15 hours back and forth to the grocery store so that you can give a little bit when you won't even go where you are right now? You've got to give your own self first. You want to give by faith? If you've given yourself and you give your bodies as a living sacrifice, then everything in your pocketbook and everything God gives you belongs to him. And it's all by faith. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. But you can't be conformed to this world. Everything about the world, as I said, is set up to distract you, to discourage you. You're just getting so, going so busy with your life that you don't even notice the people you see as trees. You walk through how many people every day and you don't even notice anybody because you're just busy. You're working to get bigger, better, more, greater. The American dream. You see, you know that the American dream and the culture of America is not the same as heaven? I thank God I'm born an American. It's opened many doors for me, but this is not my home. This is not heaven on earth. This is a sin-cursed, fallen world filled with filth and depravity. And we're told not to love this world or the things of this world. In fact, the Bible says if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And we want to be conformed to it? You want your life to be crushed and bruised and broken and shoved into a shape that's not the shape of a cross, the shape of this world? And you make those decisions every day, every morning, about what you do, where you go, what you say, and how you live your life. So how do you change from that? The Bible tells us the renewing of your mind. If you don't have the word of God in your life, you're going to be just like the world. How many times were the Israelites said, remember the God that took you out of Egypt. Remember the God that saved your soul. Get into his word. Memorize scripture. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. You think about this passage. Paul's beseeching you to do. There's something you need to do in, your word, in his word right here. Something you personally, individually need to do. You need to say, hear my Lord. You need to say, I don't know what it is you want me to do. And the fact is, it doesn't matter what you want me to do. You may want me to die tomorrow for your glory. There may not be a work, so to speak, there may just be a life to give for the one who gave everything for me. And I'll close with this. It says, which is your reasonable service? When you think of the mercy that God has given you, the grace that he's given you through Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, when you add it all up, the only reasonable thing you can do is to give God everything you have. He's not going to force you to do it. Paul beseeches us to do it. You can have a life of purpose, a life of value. You may end this life with nothing in the bank account, but you can't take it with you anyway. But you can store it for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because where your heart is, sorry, where your treasure is, there's your heart going to be also. But you realize that if it is the only reasonable thing for you to do, Christian, then it is unreasonable for you to do anything less. Are you an unreasonable Christian that says to God, no, I won't give myself. I won't say, here am I. I've got my plans. I've got my dreams. Yeah, you might have died for me, but I'm not going to sacrifice this pitiful life that's but a vapor for you. Don't be an unreasonable Christian. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Thank you, Pastor. <clears throat> Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? We have in our church what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. I don't know what that might be for you, but I'll tell you, there needs to be a day when every believer 
Every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, when they surrender themselves to whatever it is that the Lord has for them. I'm not talking about salvation in surrender, though if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, today is the day to get that settled. But have you ever surrendered to the Lord, saying, Lord, whatever you would have me to do, I'll do it? Have you allowed this world to push you into its shape? Has it conformed you and cajoled you and distracted you? And you say, no longer, no longer. I want to be transformed. I want to be made into the image of Christ. I'm done with that. I've been bought with the price. He asked a question, are we being unreasonable by resisting because we want it our way and our comfort, our plan, our path, our priority? He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. We can't keep this life anyway. Let us use it by surrendering it to the Lord that there might be riches in heaven when we arrive. For God's glory, for our good. Father, take this time of invitation. As you've already moved on hearts to respond, may you continue to do so. Help us in this hour, in Jesus' name. Amen.